This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 40. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing The Tenth Planet, which is from the first uh, Doctor's era, uh, and it's the regeneration episode, the very first regeneration, uh, and our first look at the Cybermen. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. And Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So I have a a, a clip I want to play from the uh, from the episode, the Tenth Planet, uh, and it's where uh, the the uh, Cybermen first make their appearance in the control room of the Antarctic uh, Space Command base. Uh, here's a little clip from that episode. Now, yes, they must bring them down. Why, Doctor? Because they can't last another orbit. It's imperative that I talk to you, General. No way, old man. Can't you? Will you fire a shotgun? Sergeant, will you stand back into the observation room? Sergeant, that was an order. Take that man back to the office. Back to your places. We've got two men in space. If we don't act now, we won't get them back alive. They will not return. Why not? It is unimportant now. They will not return. (laughs) 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 So uh, that's a little flavor of that. Uh, It's it's got the the classic, um, the way TV shows used to be filmed. You know, very, things were very abrupt. Um, There was weird uh, silences and pauses. and so it's Very a lot little of incidental music. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There was a, some drums at one point, and then they kind of abruptly end. You know, uh, so just um, very fun to 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 uh, see. So let's get into it. it though is, it yep. is interesting though. Listen to listen to some of this old television, both in, from Great Britain and here in the United States, because it it very much feels like it's still playing for radio. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's so much where it still sounds like the radio dramas. You know, of course, we talked about Big Finish last time, but or a couple times ago. But you know, it it's it still feels like they're writing for radio, just without as much exposition in between events. Which, which, exactly. I was just going to point that out because they need the extra exposition to tell us a little bit more about what's going on. So, like in that clip, we heard a Cyberman blast somebody, but we didn't have a line like. Oh no, Polly! That Cyberman just blasted this helpless person to tell yeah. us what was happening. The sergeant is dead, the or whoever track. it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Burnt by the flashlight. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing is, is at this time, I mean, they they were still having people from radio writing for TV as opposed to people from movies, which is movies by this time. I mean, they were they weren't what we have now, but they were 
they were much more like what we have for TV today, which is very interesting. Um, and and then the actors, I think, as well, were more used to um, th- the radio still. Also, there's a there's a kind of soap opera esque quality to how breathlessly dramatic everything is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and and then like just the pauses. Um, uh, the, the when the cyber well let's let's get let's get into the specifics of it uh, as we as we discuss it but uh, I want to quick give a quick synopsis of of what we're what we're looking at here this is well uh, and before that maybe even we should explain why we're reviewing this episode um, because this is the regeneration episode of the first doctor this is the first time we've ever seen a regeneration uh, this is going to hit the audience completely out of the blue nobody in the audience would have Known this was coming. It's not even called a regeneration yet, but for the podcast building up to the next regeneration at at Christmas, uh, we decided to, among other things, we're going to be doing on the podcast, l- taking a look at each of the regeneration stories, so we can see how regeneration has kind of changed over time, building up to the newest one. Yes, thank you. That was that's that that's exactly right. So we're gonna sort of alternate uh, week by week. We'll do a regeneration episode, and then we'll do another kind of episode in between. Um, so uh, what we got here is, is this is the end of the first Doctor's uh, time. We we a couple weeks ago we we. Um, talked about uh, his first episode, the very first episode of Doctor Who. And now it's a couple years later. How many years later, Jimmy? Um, this is basically three years later. So he, he came on in 19, at the end of 1963. And so this is like 1967. Okay. Could, yeah, they, they, at least uh, some of the sites consider it like the fourth season. Yeah. Beginning of the fourth season. Okay. All right. Because yeah, this so- was this 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 or the this originally aired in October. I'm sorry, October of 1966. Okay, and so it's it's not at the end of a season to to, to be a cliffhanger for a new Doctor in a new season. This was kind of in the middle of a season, right? Uh, not the, the middle towards. Um, towards the beginning, guess- there was one. There was um, according to uh, the. The TARDIS Wikia, the TARDIS Data Core. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one more. There was one um, serial that was actually recorded the previous season, but wasn't broadcast until season four. And then this serial, and then the the regeneration, and then uh, Patrick Troughton took over from there. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and to kind of set the the scene, you know, if you if you're listening and haven't watched yet, we'll have links to be able to watch it online in various places uh, in the show notes on our website uh, at tridio.com. But it, you know, if you're listening and haven't seen it yet, this is still black and white. You know, there there were there was TV in America, and I think probably in Britain too, that was being filmed in color. Uh, certainly Star Trek is contemporaneous to this episode and Star Trek was in, in living color or tech, what was it? Technicolor. If I forget what that living, col- living color. color. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the, the, the NBC logo, uh, that they would show beforehand. Um, but this is still black and white and it's still got that very much the, very much the same feel as it did three or four years earlier. Um, when we watched an, unearth- an unearthly child. Also, to uh, the doctor in the so when we met him last time in an unearthly child, he had three companions. He had his granddaughter Susan, and then her two teachers, Ian and Barbara, the history teacher and the science teacher. Um, and um, and now three years later, all of those characters are gone. 
and Susan went first, and then Ian and Barbara finally left, although they lasted a lot longer and were very successful characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the Doctor is traveling with two new companions. He's also had some others in the inter- in the intervening time that we didn't meet, but his two current companions are a pair of young people from uh, contemporary England from the 60s named Ben and Polly. Uh, ben is a Navy man. Uh, so he's kind of an young, he's, you know, maybe 20 years old and he's kind of the action hero type. He also has a military sensibility because of his Navy background. And Polly is an intelligent, uh, young, uh, contemporary British woman uh, about the same age, about 20 years old, maybe. And, uh, she has a little bit of the damsel in distress quality to her that is common for female companions in this era. But she also has uh, some additional dimensions as well. So if you're wondering who are these people with the doctor, right. that's who they are at the moment. And we right. should and also – go ahead. You could, you could hear her screech in that little <laughs> yes. uh, clip that Dom played. You know, that was, that's very common for especially early companions to have the, the woman who, who screams at, on, on key. So I, I also want to point out that – We'll see or some of this in living color uh, at Christmas time, we presume, uh, based on yeah. the trailer that we saw for the, the Christmas special. Uh, right, because, in the clip. Right, because the the events of the 10th planet uh, coincide with somehow the events of this upcoming Christmas special. So we'll, there'll be some parts of that in the Christmas special. So that's one of the reasons we also wanted to watch this was because th- this is going to be uh, relevant for the Christmas special. So, um, so let's, let's uh, go. Th- well, and also the, the, the spare parts connection. I mean, everything comes together. It's all about a giant web of space and time. So the synopsis, let's finally almost get to that. A web of, almost a web of fear. You could say almost. <laughs> so uh, many years ago, earth's twin planet Mondas, uh, that is literally a twin planet. It looks exactly like Earth. It drifted but away, it's, but it's but upside down. But upside down, right? That's and nobody recognized it because it was upside down. Uh, Polly it, does. She's smart. Yes, yeah, she does. Yep. Uh, it drifted away to the edge of space, which is um, its inhabitants grew weak. There, so their scientists created spare parts for their bodies. Hence the, the the radio play that we listen to, uh, spare parts. Limbs and organs were slowly replaced by metal and plastic. Emotions removed, and then the Cybermen were born. Uh, the Doctor's TARDIS here in this story lands at the snow-capped space tracking station in Antarctica in December 1986, uh, which I don't remember, but uh, that was a difficult time for me as a high school senior, so I, I, I might have a- missed it. <laughs> It's a far off future year, so you know. exactly. yeah, exactly. I, I'll, we can get into it, but I love seeing the the, the future past. A, a routine space mission that there that has been launched starts going wrong. Uh, when the base personnel suspicions arouse, the doctor informs them that the the space capsule is being uh, capsule is being affected by the gravitational pull of another planet, a tenth planet in the solar system, uh, and so then the. Uh, the loss of this routine space mission and the appearance of another planet in the sky uh, bring the arrival of the Cybermen who are going to destroy the Earth uh, and convert all humans into Cybermen. Uh, and then Ben and Polly take the lead in fighting to save the world uh, while the Doctor um, might be fighting his very last battle. Uh, so that's a that's a synopsis of this, uh, which took place in four parts. This was a four-part uh, serial episode. Uh, 20, 23 minutes each episode about. 
Um, so it's fun. It's 1986 imagined from the late 60s, which uh, we had seen other TV series of that era do. Uh, the 80s, I think the 80s were, were sort of, I think because of George Orwell in 1984, uh, folks of that era of the 50s and 60s looked to the 1980s as sort of the undefined future. Well, I, I would also, I'd also argue that it was close enough in time where it could still be contemporary. You know, they could right. still have recognizable yeah. things, um, but it was far enough ahead that with the advance of technology in the 60s, 50s and 60s, you know, the space race and all that, where they could be these fantastic things like the Zeus missions and things like that, um, you know, that there could be this, um, you know, space launch base in Antarctica. Right, Stuff like that were very much plausible things, but we weren't talking about you know a hundred, two hundred, four hundred years in the future where we've got the Jetsons and the flying cars. Yeah, this is only really almost exactly twenty years after the air date. It's like mm -hmm. twenty years and two months. Exactly. So they're not they're not thinking that far ahead. And it's interesting to see what they got right and what they got wrong. Um, one of the things they they envisioned was something that didn't really happen then but is more happening now in terms of space exploration which is kind of an internationalization mm -hmm. of of space exploration because it, the snowcat base is being run by people who we see british people we see americans there you have the stereotypical belligerent american general uh, <laughs> who's kind of in charge um and it's his son who is one of the uh, one of the astronauts that's in danger, mm -hmm. um, and so he's obviously very concerned about his son. But then also uh, this effort is being overseen from Geneva, so uh, you have this kind of United Nations exploration of space approach going, um, and that really didn't happen then because of the Cold War. Uh, you know, in the 70s, we had like the Soyuz-Apollo uh, joint mission between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. But the Cold War effectively prevented this kind of international cooperation until more recent times where like now we have the International Space Station that is truly a kind of joint effort of multiple different nations, in, including old uh, rivals. Yeah, I love the, the multinational uh, force that are at Snowcap. Uh, I, the sergeant sounds like he's from New York or Boston, one or the other. I like to think he's he's a Boston guy, just because you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll defer to your expertise on accents. Once you get yeah. our Mason Dixon line, it gets fuzzy for me. Yeah, he's like a, he's like a stereotypical like sergeant from the Northeast sort of uh, character yeah. from that from that era. He's great, but the Italian guy's the best. I love him. He sings opera. <laughs> he has pictures of scantily clad women on the wall. He sees Polly out through the periscope and goes hubba hubba. You know, I mean, he's just yeah. he is just like right out of central casting Italian soldier. I love. I really so, liked him. It does suffer with the typical Doctor Who problem of accent slipping. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, the Italian sounds like a Brit. <laughs> so does the American. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I liked seeing that. And I like seeing 1986 from those eyes. I have to point out that there's probably quite a number of our listeners who were not alive or were very, very young when 1986 was actually around. So for them, <laughs> this future is very much in the, in the distant past. So that's, it's really fun. 
Um, they once uh, there was a blog a few years ago called uh, Paleo Future, where it was showing pictures of imagined futures from the past uh, that are now in the past. Those futures, which is is great. Um, so the story, uh, I don't know, and it doesn't explain why the Doctor and Polly and Ben show up there. I don't know. I I haven't watched the episodes uh, before this, so um, at, at why this are they there? Point- at this point in its history, the TARDIS is very unpredictable. Um, and so once the doctor took off in 1963, he was basically bouncing around without, with virtually no control over where he was going to land. And over the course of the different series, he gradually got more and more control uh, to where today, with few exceptions, he can really nail it where he wants to go. Although even now he says it's kind of more like a negotiation with the TARDIS. But at this point, the TARDIS was just taking them wherever it wanted to go. Okay. And they kind of, uh, I, I, I missed it the first time I watched, I watched it twice. They, they kind of thought they were back home in their time at first until they saw a calendar, I think, on the wall yeah. saying 1986. Yeah. And that, you know, that's where they've been aiming for. And, but it's the thing that delays. It's also an excuse to keep the companions around. Um, is because they don't know when they're going to get home and they're always kind of hoping this might be it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the the story itself, they see a, a, another, a, there's a spacecraft um, where, and I love the simulation of um, when you, when you want to simulate being in space, when you're in natural gravity, you just move slowly. You know, you just yeah. reach out a hand very slowly. <laughs> that's, that's being in space. Um, they see another planet in orbit between Mars and Venus. Um, uh, it's it's interesting when they when this first came up. I my initial thought was that the Doctor had landed on Mondas. That this planet that they're on was Mondas. That was sort of when I was originally watching, trying to figure out what was you know what was happening. Uh, because a planet between Mars and Venus, well, that's that's Earth, and I thought that's, that's what they were saying. Yeah. Um, but in fact, a Mondas suddenly somehow showed up in this orbit. Uh, with you know the same Earth orbit, which would be very, which would be devastating to to Earth, I think. Uh, so they uh, they they contact the uh, International Space Command, and then you know various things come up. The the general is suspicious of the Doctor, but doesn't really have time for him because he's trying to save his men. Uh, we get these uh, Cybermen that come to the to Snowcap. They come landing down in Antarctica. Well, I didn't understand that. What do you think? What was the point? Why why did they come to that place first? Eventually they show up around the world, but they show up at, at this base first. Um, I would assume, and this is just headcanon, I don't recall them saying this in the show, but I would assume uh, it's because of the snowcap base, that this is kind of a tracking base. It probably has a beacon that is being used to guide the capsules in space in some way. And so I would guess that the Cybermen homed in on that. That was kind of my that was kind of my thought as well. Now, in reality, it's because they only had that little uh, fake model of the snowcap <laughs> area. But no, I'm kidding. Well, wow. we need to get the characters in proximity of the antagonist. Exactly. Somehow, so, yes, yeah, snowcap. I love the that that snowcap is essentially uh, cardboard uh, covering a hole <laughs> that they yeah. have to open up to climb out of. <laughs> uh, I love that. And then there's a few periscopes uh, out there, which is good. Uh, makes makes that design uh, much easier. Um, they 
I, I the plot holes. I love finding plot holes. They um, Geneva's unable to contact the polar base, but the polar base is still talking to the spaceship. So I would think talking to Geneva would be easier than to a spaceship, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, that the Cybermen are causing interference. Uh, I also love the these great disguises that the Cybermen put on uh, in order to sneak into the base. Like uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. after the poor uh, sergeant from Boston and the Italian uh, guy end up getting killed by the Cybermen, uh, the Cybermen put on their parkas over their very tall head, you know, uh, uh, widget head dresses. Yes, and uh, and kind of walk around the base. <laughs> With it on. Yeah, so they're like seven and a half feet tall with parkas <laughs> over their head. <laughs> and the general's sergeant, take this man away into the observation room. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's it's not the sergeant. It's seven and a half foot tall <laughs> Cyberman. Uh, I, I love that. Well, don't you know that's what the military is like? That's you know we don't actually you know when you're in the military you don't actually look at the person you just look at the rank. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm being Speak- sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of the Cybermen's costume. This this is so for people who haven't seen uh, most of the listeners have probably seen the Mondasian Cybermen and that's basically uh, what we have here. Um, this is the original iteration that the more recent Twelfth Doctor versions were slight modifications of. Um, so they have basically a ski mask over their head, a kind of a silver ski mask. Um, so you you can see their eyes when they open their mouth, they just open it, and this creepy voice comes out that has a kind of sing-song quality. Um, They also have the same kind of like flashlight stuck to the top of their head, which we're later told has a role not just in killing people, but in dampening the fact they their emotions. Um, And in this, they they didn't actually have gloves. Uh, They did have the big chest pieces, in fact, even bigger than the ones we saw at the end of the 12th Doctor's time. But they didn't have even the the latex gloves that we see them wearing later on, um, which was one of the things that caught a young Peter Capaldi's attention um, and, and amped up for him the body horror of these mechanical beings, because you can see they're just totally normal human hands um, interacting with things and realizing there's a real, this is not a robot. This is a human being that's been mechanically augmented and corrupted. Exactly. Uh, I like that the use of the term cyber here, um, this, I mean, I I tend to think of that as sort of a, a, a something of the internet age, uh, the, this this word cyber, but it must have an older etymology uh, for it to be used in the late '60s to of this idea of a uh, of a half man half robot. I mean, we had cyborg, and I guess that's maybe the uh, a, a connected a, a connection to that. But uh, this at, idea at of the, cyber at the time, cyber it's a it's a shortening of cybernetics. And cybernetics was originally kind of a term used for automated systems, um, including robots. Uh, it's originally from a Greek root, um, uh, kubernon, which means to steer. Oh, so an, it's a it's a self sort of a self steering system. Okay, okay, that's good. Good. That's one of those secrets of Doctor Who that we love to give to the listener. You know, uh, it was it was a fairly. Re- uh, Recently, a re- re- uh, new word at that point, though. Um, I think it was the late 1940s. 40s, early, yeah, is when it kind of first came out as a word that was becoming known anyways. Um, 
So by this by the late sixties, it was it was known, but it was still pretty new. Yeah, it actually kind of peaked in the six in popularity in the sixties and seventies, and then has somewhat receded. At least cyber cybernetics has. Yeah, I mean, we have the 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 even we talked about like the 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 cyber um, in relation to internet stuff, but that's kind of become dated as well. We don't really use that that sort of term. The I mean, people don't talk about cyberspace and the internet <laughs> super information superhighway anymore. Well, only senators in the uh, U.S. Senate do. Mm. <laughs> it's a series of tubes. Anyway, yeah. uh, so we we have this the, the drama happening of the the Cybermen taking over. Um, Polly and it um, uh, confronts a Cyberman. You know, they're going to die. Don't you care? And I love this response of the Cyberman, which yeah. says, "People die all over your world, and yet you do not care." And it's like, wow! Like, <laughs> how do you respond to that? That's, I mean, that's a good. Like, it's, it's sort of a. I don't know if it's a good point, but it's, it's certainly an, a really interesting response to, you know, how come you don't care about these two guys? And he's, and he says that right now there are millions of people dying all over your planet. So, like, why is, why should we care about two? And and the response and it's a great line. Um, and you know, in would you know tend to flummox people, but a logical response is, I can't afford to care about everyone in the world that I have no power to save. But we do have the power to save these guys, and that's why we should care in this situation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a that's an excellent response in in that case. Um, they are revealed to have no emotions, which is shocking. Um, our brains are like yours, except our emotions have been removed. And I think that would have been shocking to, uh, an audience of that time, especially, uh, that's, that sort of, um, idea of having your emotions removed, even though you're still human in some way. Um, we have this situation uh, where some more action. Uh, ben tries to, uh, kill, you know, he picks up the uh, machine gun, uh, and tries to, to shoot the Cyberman, but in this case, even though they they killed a soldier, Ben is uh, not killed uh, for some reason, uh, but is taken away and locked into a, a film projection room, uh, where he being used... a companion has its privileges. <laughs> it does, it yeah. does at times until your time runs out. Uh, <laughs> where uh, I love that Ben uh, then uses uh, the movie High Noon as a weapon <laughs> to stop yeah. the, the Cyberman. <laughs> Uh, and, and and ends up resting resting away the uh, Cyberman's weapon and uses it against him. Uh, he blinded me with cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and then we have, like you mentioned, Jimmy, the this, the added drama of uh, Cutler's son then being sent into space. Um, and and I don't know if we mentioned, but you know the, the 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 big drama is that Earth is losing power. This is why the the first space mission uh, was destroyed, and why Cutler's son is in danger, uh, and the whole world is in danger because Mondas is weak and is sucking energy from Earth. Now the doctor says, you know, hey, let them do it because based on what I'm seeing, it's going to end up burning them out. They're gonna they're gonna suck up too much energy, and the whole thing's gonna burn out. The general disagrees. He says, no, no, we have to stop them. And that's that's sort of what we get um, in the second half of these four episodes is the drama of the, the general wants to use uh, the Z-bomb, not an H-bomb, but the Z-bomb, which is a doomsday device. He wants to launch it at Mondas. And uh, pretty much everybody else, all the civilians, disagree. Uh, and so there's this tension between them uh, over, over launching this missile. 
Um, but but one one important key point uh, thing happens at this point, which is at the beginning of part three, the doctor suddenly collapses. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to come out of nowhere for me. Uh, well, and it, do, it, it does, because the what happened was during the filming of this serial, uh, William Hartnell's health problems got more intense and he he basically couldn't continue filming all of his scenes. And so they they had the doctor collapse so that they could put him off in a room re, uh, recuperating. And we'll see like Ben and Polly go to him at his bedside and he's kind of wrapped up in a blanket with his face to the wall. So we don't really see him that much. Um, but uh, and then his his lines were transferred to other actors um, so that uh, the story would hang together. But basically, that's the reason why uh, Hartnell is not in a lot of this as the doctor. But the regeneration was planned before yes. this already. But it just yes. things accelerated with his health. Um, and, and so they had to, to do that. Okay. Um, it, it, another thing to point out is that part four of this, we don't actually have, uh, anymore. Anyone doesn't have, as far as we know, the original video, you know, the original film of this, because there's obviously a recording film. And so it's been reconstructed as, as we mentioned in previous episodes, uh, from, uh, audio Kelly snaps. Yep. And audio that has been recorded. Uh, and with uh, you can find animation, fairly good animation online of this episode. And some of the some of the animation is based on something that uh, were called telesnaps. Um, and what that was was so we have audio for absolutely all of the Doctor Who TV stories because fans were recording them on tape recorders at home, which was all that was available at the time. VCRs didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. um, but the BBC, apparently, for some reason, I don't understand exactly why, but they hired this guy um, to point a camera, just a still camera, at his television screen and take snaps every few seconds of many, many, many episodes of Doctor Who and some other TV shows. And so these snaps of a television screen are known as telesnaps. And even though we don't have the original video for many of these episodes, we do have the original telesnaps. And they've been used... Um, at least among the professional animations that have been done mm -hmm. uh, as a guide for what was happening on screen. Uh, also, you can find some reconstructions that just use the telesnaps to the uh, to the original audio. And there there are um, some chunks of video, usually, you know, 10, 15 seconds at a time, because people would use, you know, like early home film cameras to record these so you'll, you'll see you can tell when they do that because the, you'll see the you know the the sync how the, the the refresh of the tv and the refresh of the camera are out of sync uh but people do did record some chunks of video again but they're very very short snippets of video they're not they're not very long at all so there is there is some existing video but again it, it's a minor minor little clip you know, some of the regeneration sequence at the end of this episode does exist because of that. Yeah. Okay. 
So uh, let's kind of you skip ahead through the story. You know, they they eventually. Um... Oh, oh, one one other note, real quick. This is a kind of '60s thing, but in the original uh, Zeus Four mission, that then that gets in trouble, and then they send up uh, the general's son in Zeus Five to res- try to rescue the Zeus Four people. Zeus Four has two astronauts in it, and um, the uh, commander astronaut happens to be a black American. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that was, you know, we often talk about how Star Trek was, uh, you know, ad- advancing uh, social consciousness on some of these issues. But here's Doctor Who doing it uh, r- before Star Trek has made any dent on England at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I didn't even think about that. Uh, I mean, it was sort of unremarkable today. But but back then, you know, 50 years ago, that would have been, you know, it, that's a big deal. You know, a commander of a space mission. Right. He's not only an, he's not only do we have a black astronaut, he's the commander and nobody makes any any big deal out of it at all. Yep. And, and that's the, the, something the, they certainly got right about the space program by the 80s, right. that and, nobody and, was going to care about that. And from what I understand, it would have been a similar Maybe not as shocking as uh, Star Trek was, but um, very similar response in Great Britain as well. They they struggled with their racial history as well at, during the '60s. So yeah, yeah, it was was it just a United States thing for the, the civil rights movement and things like that? It was also uh, over there. I just want to point out quickly uh, too before we move on is the second half of the episode is presumably where the Christmas episode will occur. During that same time, this Christmas yeah. episode that this year yeah, it's going to be coming up. Yep. That's true. Yes, uh, in fact, uh, during you know during the doctors the period of time where he collapses, um, and the Polly and Ben are off doing other things. You know, we can presume that the doctor rises from his sickbed at some point and goes off, staggers to the TARDIS in the snow, and yeah, encounters, himself encounters uh, Peter Capaldi. Uh, so yes, so uh, as far as the action in the uh, episode goes at this point, the uh, the Cybermen end up killing the American general just Cutler before he kills the he kills the doctor who's going to try to kill the doctor. Um, the the Cybermen want to dismantle the Z bomb missile. Uh, but can't do it themselves because of radiation. They figure this out. They carry radioactive fuel rods around the, <laughs> the snow cap to kill the yeah. Cybermen, uh, not to mention everybody else. Um, yeah, it's like those hazmat suits y'all are wearing aren't really aren't really regulation for what you're handling there. Yeah. Well, not, never mind everybody else who doesn't have a hazmat suit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so uh, Mondas, the doctor is right, of course. Mondas is uh, disabled due to uh, sucking up too much energy um at this point Polly had been taken off to the mondasian ship uh the doctor was there as well he collapses um in the ship and he he needs to go back to the tardis um and then the tardis goes through all kinds of they they get in it uh, ben Polly, and uh, the doctor the tardis goes through all this sort of operating on its own switches flipping and all sorts of things yeah, um, and this would have been really scary because the tardis at this point is basically going crazy and the audience does not know why. So it's like the doctor is seemingly dying and the TARDIS is going crazy and the doctor's sort of hallucinating. And what the heck is happening? We have no context for any of this. Right. And, and so once they finally get in, the doctor's face, we see, transforms into the face of Patrick Troughton as we hear the ta- the TARDIS, you know, traveling sound. Uh, begins to sound. And that's the end of the episode. Now, 
uh, uh, is this the is this the only time, or do, uh, does other times in classic Who, as opposed to New Who, are there witnesses to a regeneration? Yes, this yeah, is the only time. That's it's not the only time. Um, there there won't be any human witnesses next time when we talk about Patrick Troughton's regeneration. But when the third Doctor John Pertwee regenerates, there are witnesses. When the fourth and fifth Doctors regenerate, there are witnesses. So normally there are witnesses, and typically we get a glow of light like we do this. They later give a name to that and call it Artron energy. And in the in modern eras, it looks kind of yellowy orange. Um, but at the time, it's just a blinding burst of light. And uh, there will be other variations in terms of what happens surrounding the regeneration. This time, it's basically really straightforward. The doctor falls down, there's a glow, and he's a new man. Okay. All right. Um, so it's very interesting that in the modern era, they they tend to do it where the doctor goes off on his own by himself to regenerate. Uh, whereas in the classic, it was with whoever happened to be there, and things kind of continue on afterward. Um, yeah. So, uh, what else do we have to say about about this uh, episode? I mean, anything else that you want, to, you want to say about either the episode itself or the regeneration? And what were the reactions? Do you know what what how people reacted to this? Uh, this, in a way, this was kind of like the Luke "I'm Your Father" of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. because it was just so shocking and came out of nowhere that people didn't know what to make of it. Um, they had, I mean, not only, I mean, think about how little they knew about the Doctor at the time. We knew he was from another planet. We knew he was he was uh, old by human in human terms, um, but we didn't know anything else. We didn't know his home planet was called Gallifrey. We mm-hmm. didn't know his his race was called the Time Lords. We didn't know that this process was called regeneration, which it wouldn't be until the third doctor's time. We didn't even know this process existed. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the main character of the show apparently drops dead and gets up as a new man. That's mind blowing. Yep. So we probably and they, and they, go ahead. And they, they play on that when you watch the uh, the Power of the Daleks, the next episode, the first uh, yeah. Patrick Troughton episode. He really plays on that, that first snippet when he's there in the TARDIS where, you know, he, he's, he won't answer, is he the doctor? Right. And will not answer it. And, and at all. we get we get little clues pointing in different directions. And Ben and Polly, when we see their reactions to Patrick Troughton's first appearance, they're totally freaked out. They don't know whether to trust this guy anymore. I mean, they're on this alien planet with this man who they suddenly don't know. And and they they actually kind of take different sides. Uh, Polly is a little more inclined to believe he's the doctor, but Ben is more skeptical. Does Patrick Troughton play it differently? I mean, is he is he is yes. he significantly different in personality? And that's the, absolutely I mean, very much. I mean, that sort of and, had to have been a conscious decision by the the producers yes. of the show. Like, how are we going to do this? Is it going to are we going to try to play him as similar, or well, do we let Patrick Troughton go off and do his own thing? Well, and it, it's you know you you have to wonder if there's a little of both you know where we want some similarities, yeah. And of course, that's been the 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 great thing about Doctor Who is there's been so many things that are they go from regeneration to regeneration to re- regeneration, but then there each Doctor has its personality. You know, one example, Patrick Troughton, you know, instead of you know William Hartnell's very stern you know grandfatherly figure, Patrick Troughton's kind of a clown. Yeah, he he plays with the recorder all the time. He wears you know, big, goofy, like checked pants and a ridiculous yeah, hat. Exactly. 
I mean, it's a very, it's almost the opposite swing. Yeah. And that's a pattern we tend to see in, in the casting of doctors. Each doctor is a reaction to the previous one. So if you, if you have a stern doctor, it's going to tend to be followed by a more comedic doctor. If you have a more comedic doctor, there's a likelihood it's going to be followed by a more stern doctor. And if you want, and, you know, if you want a modern example, look at Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi. Right. It's the, uh, the old fat pope, skinny pope, uh, uh, when we're predicting who's going to be elected next. <laughs> or good Star Trek movie, bad Star Trek movie. Exactly. Yes. In, in this, so in this case, you know, as uh, Father Corey has pointed out, you had the very authoritarian William Hartnell, who came across as very stern and at times abrasive, more so than the producers of the show really wanted. They, in, in casting Patrick Troughton, they did... Um, talk about a number of different personas that he could have adopted. And he had some ideas and some of them were kind of really weird. Um, like he might play it as an Arab or he might play it as a sea captain or any number of things, but they, they settled on a kind of cosmic hobo persona. So he's kind of like Charlie Chaplin. Um, in that way, he's kind of a comedic character. He, um, is much more humble. And in fact, and he's much more likable, frankly, um, he also um, he, he also is more devious um, because he'll play on the fact that he is more humble and more unassuming and less of a threat. He's basically doing Columbo before Columbo, <laughs> where where he's he's counting on people underestimating him and maneuvering them into the situation he needs them to be in um, because they don't realize how intelligent he actually is. And so he's kind of like a whimsical Charlie Chaplin, Columbo combination. And that proved to be a winning combination. And people have uh, personally, you know, people often say that your favorite doctor is the one you first watched, mm. you know, because it's who you got used to the character right. first being. And, and for me, that would point in the direction of Tom Baker, because he's right. the one I first really saw. But Despite that, Patrick Troughton's my favorite doctor. Yeah. And a lot of people have uh, said that Patrick Troughton deserves credit for saving the show mm -hmm. because at this point, cancellation was a real option. And Patrick Troughton had to come in and so win over the audience that they would accept the transition from William Hartnell and say, okay, this is good. Let's keep going. And, and we wouldn't have the remaining 50 years of the show if Patrick Troughton hadn't succeeded in doing that. Correct. And you know, one thing I'd recommend to, to get a taste of Patrick Troughton is to go search out uh, the power of the Daleks. Uh, last year, the BBC released uh, an animated version of it actually released it in the theaters. I went to see it in the theater. It was fantastic. Um, so, the, you know, the story exists now in animated form. Again, you know, we talked about the audio being there. And, and so, that's a, a great follow-up to this episode. We should warn people though, that they also establish in that a custom, which later is there of the doctor having a little regeneration madness. So right. he's not exactly the Patrick Trout and he'll become, he's behaving a little more erratically. But it, it's, it's a good way to see, you know, how that transition went. And again, to get a kind of a feel for the character, because he does definitely see a bit of it. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd like to do some time, now that we're doing all the regenerations of the Doctor, I'd like to do a series of episodes at some point in the future where we do all of the first episodes. Uh, uh-huh. We have an unearthly child already, and uh, we've done that, but of uh, each of the rest of the Doctors, and just kind of, as we go through it, comparing how they... Doctor introduce a new doctor introduces himself, and it, even even given the regeneration madness that they they suffer from, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. So, um, anything else we need to say about the tenth planet and the Cybermen? I mean, we're we'll probably we're I guess we're leaving the Cybermen for a little while. Uh, we won't be back uh, with them. <laughs> I think people are going to say finally. <laughs> Cybermen episodes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but uh, but anything else we need to be said about the tenth planet? Uh, one thing about the Cybermen is, that may be worth pointing out is they're kind of a replacement for the Daleks. Um, the Daleks were created by a guy named Terry Nation, and he was able to work out some kind of rights deal uh to where he had significant a significant amount of control over the over the use of the Daleks on Doctor Who, and so you like could not use the Daleks without Terry Nation's permission. Right, and he was constantly he for years he tried to spin them off into their own series, including here in America, without the Doctor. Um, he was never really able to get that to work, uh, but there were times when they couldn't use the the Daleks in uh, Doctor Who because of rights issues with Terry Nation. And so the Cybermen were one of a number of villains that they would use as stand-ins for the Daleks. And so that's kind of why they assume a more, part of why they assume a more robotic aspect in later episodes. Um, Incidentally, now the estate of Terry Nation, Terry Nation has passed on to his reward, but his estate has a rights deal with the producers of Doctor Who to where now basically they have to use the Daleks at least once per season. season. (laughs) That's why we see so many more Dalek episodes now. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for that uh, background. I like that uh, to hear about that sort of thing. That's what we're all about here at The Secrets of Doctor Who. So I think that's it from us on the uh, the 10th planet. What did you think of the 10th planet? Uh, let us know. Uh, visit us at uh, tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, uh, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on Tridio. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll discuss the second episode of the, the Ninth Doctor with Rose called The End of the World, uh, which we'll get uh, be able to listen to that wonderful song by Britney Spears, Toxic. Uh, yes, a music video in the middle of a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> So until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Glad to be here. Uh, Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and uh, thank you for listening. And remember, as the doctor said, it's far from being all over. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.